in, but I'm glad you're here this morning. I just, I want to remind you that heaven is still real. Amen. And no matter what you dealt with this week or who you had to be around or who you had to subject yourself to or whoever's cooking you had to, to eat, that heaven is still real. Amen. And it's okay to get excited about heaven. Amen. And what happened is we get so filled. This is not the message. It's just a divine rant. I'll get over it and go in the corner in a minute here. But what happens is we just get so filled up with this world and so filled up with uh, whatever we're doing that heaven is just some kind of fairy tale that we talk about every now and then. I'm telling you, well, I can't wait to go. And I know I read the, the, the Pauline epistles in the book of Acts and Paul was a stinking suicidal maniac. He wanted to get out of here. And I do too. Numbers chapter 14 this morning. I hope that encourages you a little bit this morning. Numbers chapter 14. We're not quite done with the chapter. We will be done with the chapter today. And you find Numbers chapter 14. Would you stand? I'd like to read a few verses of scriptures. Now, Brother Cole told you about some holiday tracks. And listen, people around the holiday times, I know a couple things about them. Uh, they're more receptive to take a track. And number two, they're often more discouraged around the holiday times. Because there's usually an empty chair around the table many times that there wasn't the year prior. So be cognizant, be aware of that, be understanding of that. If you don't, you know, you give them a track and they don't go, oh, thank you so much, I'm just so glad. Right? It just be, be, be understanding that this is a great time to pass out some tracks. And if you come giving them some whatever you call it, whatever you want, this Christmas year, I don't care what you call it, just get it in their hands and the Bible will do the rest. Amen. Numbers chapter 14 this morning, look at verse 11. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now thou shalt kill all this people as one man. Then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Brother Bob, would you ask the Lord's blessing in the preaching this morning?
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like you to turn to one more passage of Scripture this morning, and I want to give you a couple thoughts. Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel, not a common book of the Bible that we often go to, but the book of Ezekiel chapter 22. I'd like you to look down to verse 30, and I'd like to draw an application here. Ezekiel chapter 22 Verse 30, the Bible says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. I'll tie the passage in here in a minute, but I want you to see here in chapter 14, this is the last piece I see here, and I tried, wanted to incorporate it last week, but there just wasn't room or time. But what I see here is Moses, the great interceder. Moses, the great interceder. You know, never before has one man ever stood for the people of God like Moses. You read a lot about David and his mighty men. You read about the judges. You read about the prophets. But never was there a man, the friend of God, that stood and interceded for the entire nation of Israel like the man Moses did. And I got to thinking this just... Uh, This isn't the message, but you know what America needs? America needs a Moses. We've all got the ability to diagnose the problem with the country, amen? We've all got the ability, you've got a Bible, you can see what's wrong with her, you can see where she went off the tracks, you can see where she went off the rails, you can see where God cannot bless America. But besides all that, what this country needs is a Moses. And that's why I read Ezekiel chapter 22. Because I believe the Lord's looking at this country today saying, I'm looking for a man to stand in the gap, to stand in the hedge. He says, and I found none. Not the message this morning, but just something really to think about. Do you love your country this morning? Well, why don't you pray God send a Moses for her? But never before did a country, did a man stand for God's people like Moses did. And I see in this passage, this a group of verses here, what we learn is uh, through our text is there are some very clear lessons the Holy Spirit has for you and I. Very clear lessons. About three different things that I see here. And I believe as we look at the scriptures this morning, my prayer is they should challenge us to see us how the Lord sees us. Not only challenge us to see how the Lord sees us, but I pray this morning they should be able to change us to be more like Jesus Christ. What is the use of coming into the old church house and hearing preaching if we walk out the same way we came in? Not only challenge, not only change, but can I say this? I hope this message, and I pray this message this morning, although it may not have gunpowder of the past, I pray it would charge us up to leave from this place full of the Holy Spirit, ready to go do something for Him more than just do something for ourselves. Can I see, show you some things from... The passage this morning, I want you to see here, uh, first of all, number one, I want you to see the penalty. The quick backstory: I believe you know what's going on here. They have just set the Lord straight off. They've made him angry. You ever done that? 
Okay, a couple of you, the rest are a bunch of liars, amen. You just make the Lord slap angry, right? Mom's dad, your kids just ever, like, just totally set you right off. And if it wasn't for the death penalty, you'd have murdered them. But here's the thing. I want you to see the penalty. And here in the passage, here in verses 11 to 12, Israel's sin requires a penalty. The Lord simmers to a boiling point. I don't know if you can read it in the passage. I read it over and over again. It's like he's simmering. It's like he's on a slow rolling boil ready to blow up. And he simmers to a boil. Look what it says. After ten, these ten times of tempting the Lord. I got reading that. I'm like, my goodness. He's keeping track. Lord's keeping track. That's scary, ain't it? Don't you do that every once in a while, parents? You keep track of your kids when they mess up? You know, not to hold it over them, of course, you know, but maybe to remind them every now and then. I know what you did last summer or something like that. Grandma, grandpas, you see your grandkids acting up. You start taking note of it, don't you? But I want you to see that this penalty for Israel's sin it, require, the, the, uh, it requires a penalty. And verse 11 and 12, uh, basically the Lord says this. He's like, I've had it. I've done with the people of Israel. I've done with my own people. All they do, verse 12, is provoke me and they will not believe me. You ever been there? Amen. Me too. Sad to say. It's pretty sad in the Laodicean church period that most of what the church wants to know is if the preacher is still a sinner. But you are too. And God's keeping track of Israel's sin. It says these ten times. Uh, preacher uh, wrote, this, uh, uh, wrote this note down the, these ten times. Once in the wilderness of sin. Twice by the Red Sea. Three times at Marah. Twice about the manna. Again at Rephidim. And now here. That's ten times. They ticked the Lord off. I don't know how else to say it. They made him mad. They tempted him, he says, these ten times. And you know what? Uh, don't forget this. The Lord keeps track of Israel's sins, but the Lord's also keeping track of yours. We said this in Sunday school this morning, what this country no longer wants, it no longer wants a preacher to say, look, you're a sinner. I don't care how sweet and how kind and how, how much good smelly stuff you put on today and, and how much you did better than yesterday. You're still a no good. You're still a dirty, rotten sinner. And God's keeping track of your sins. Now look, if they're under the blood, He don't remember them no more. He's put your sins as far away from the east as from the west. If you're saved concerning salvation, He's not going to bring that up. But, in, but when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, all those sins that you haven't put under the blood, you're going to give an account for I'm telling you here, real plain and simple, don't get messed up in hyper-dispensational doctrine. The Lord is keeping track of your sin. You say, why? He's keeping track of Israel's sin. You say, well, He doesn't, do, he doesn't deal with us the way He dealt with Israel. Aren't you glad? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be lower attendance than it already is. There wouldn't be any kids alive. Every time they back them out their parents, they just take them out back and stone them, Amen. Your parents ever do that to you? My parents said that to me as a kid. They said, aren't you glad you don't live in Bible times? I'm like, yeah, my goodness. <laughs> Wouldn't made it past five years old. But the Lord is keeping track of your sins. You know, Proverbs 15, verse 3, a verse as I'm sure you know, the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Now, he's just not watching over your sins, but he's watching over the good stuff you do too. But let me remind you, Christian, he is keeping track of your sin. You ain't getting away with what you think you're getting away with. 
You've got to remember that going into in today, the first day of the week, you have brought yourself here by the grace of God, and you being in this church house tells me that you want to hear preaching. Amen? You want to hear something smooth and funny? I'm not the, I don't write funny material. I might be funny looking, but I don't write funny material. Let me tell you, God remembers. He keeps track of what you're doing. You've got to remember that. Not only that, but the Bible says in Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We're doing all right this morning. You see how quickly we turn that thing from Israel to you? That's what preaching does. You take that thing about Israel, and God is keeping track of Israel's sin, and guess what? The proper application now of preaching is says, hey, by the way, he's watching what you're doing. The question I have is, are you keeping track of what you're doing? That's why it's so important to keep the short sin account. So when you mess the thing up, you go ahead and fess the thing up, and you get it taken care of. I mean, like, right away, that's a short sin. Man, y'all are quiet. Ate way too much. You're like, oh, you're just depressed because you got to go on a diet tomorrow. I'm telling you, the Lord is keeping track of Israel's sin, and Israel's sin now requires a penalty. And let me tell you what, your sin requires a penalty too. God's keeping track of your sin. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that is a point unto men once to die, but after this is judgment. You know that, right? See here, if you're today, if you're lost, one day you'll stand before God at the great white throne judgment and give an account for everything you did, and that'll determine your punishment in the lake of fire. And if you're a Christian, one day you'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ to give account what you did in your body, whether good or bad. You see that? You're not going to escape judgment. Well, I'm saved, and I'm heaven bound. Praise the Lord, me too. But you ain't gonna, you're not going to escape judgment. You get in your car out here, like we was coming back from Toledo last night. We get down uh, 23 there, and I put her about 65. say, well, I start getting tired. I start getting tired. I start driving slower. Grandma syndrome, or whatever you want to call it. I had her right about 65, and all of a sudden, here's this fool just bebopping and weaving in and out of traffic like, you know, he's a hero or something like that. It just doesn't that irritate you when they do that. Just kind of like one of Dale Earnhardt on the left corner there, bam, knock him off the road, you know. I know y'all never thought that. But, you know, the best form of justice is when you say, whoop, whoop. And you see that trooper pull him over, and he pulled him over. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm telling you what, you can't escape judgment. You get out here on the highway and you drive like an it, you're going to get pulled over. And you're today and you're without Jesus Christ, you die. You will face judgment. And if you're a Christian, you die with Jesus Christ, you'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and you'll give an account of everything that you did not put under the blood. You say, why? Because he's keeping track. My Lord keeps a record of every moment I've lived down here. He knows all about me, all my troubles, my sorrows, my fears. You forget that, don't you? He's keeping track. He's keeping track of your thoughts. You thought about your family when you had to be around them. He's keeping track of your rotten attitude. He's keeping track how you treat your spouse. Even though you stood before that preacher and lied right through your teeth and said, I do and I do and I love her and she loves me and I'll take care of her for better and worse. You just treat her like garbage. Amen, amen. Oh, y'all tough crowd this morning. Lord, help me. He's keeping track. I'm trying just hit a brick wall right there. Preach anything but my sin, preacher. 
Preach about them queers down there at Walmart or something. Preach about, you know, the State of the Union. How depressing is that? Preach about gas for good night. I'd rather sing about heaven. Well, the penalty for Israel's sin is twofold. Look at verse 12. The penalty for Israel's sin is twofold. He says, I will smite them. You see that? God's going to kill them. And then he says in verse 12, and disinherit them. He says, you know what I'm going to do? The people that I took from mine, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to cut them off. I'm done with them. That's scary. Can I tell you today in 2022, the penalty for man's sin is twofold? The penalty for man's sin is twofold. Physical death and eternal damnation. Physical death and eternal damnation. The Bible says in uh, uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. One day, because you sin, you will die. I mean, unless the rapture takes place, everyone in here is going to get put to bed with a shovel. Some of the best saints we've uh, uh, sang the praises of God with and uh, stood by and fellowship with and loved on, they've already gone to, they've gone to, gone to glory. Say what happened? They got put to bed with a shovel. The wages of sin is death. You know why you die? Because you're a sinner. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you what, if you're without Jesus Christ, that Bible says, that twofold part is, the, the first thing is death and then eternity in the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 12, uh, 20, verses 14 and 15. Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15, I'll read it. The Bible says, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. You say, you one of them preachers that believe in that old stuff? Sure do. You say, well, tell me about that one more time. All right, it's like this. If you die without accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, they're going to throw your carcass in the grave. And then you're going to get resurrected back up at the great white throne judgment. Uh, your carcass that is and you're going to be burning in hell for all of eternity and then he pull you up out of there and you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to give an account for what you did good or bad and then all that stuff goes against how, uh, the, the degree of uh, torment you're in forever and ever and you'll never get out and you got a better way to describe it you tell the lost neighbor that you live by I don't live by your lost neighbor I don't live by your lost family member you do and see, the whole thing is Israel's punishment, penalty, was twofold. He's going to kill them. He's going to smite them and disinherit them. And man's penalty for sin in 2022 is death and hell. Ain't none of them too fun. Over in Germany, there's a concentration camp you're probably familiar with called Auschwitz. And you can go on and look at it. Above the entrance to the concentration camp in Auschwitz, Germany, are the words, Arbeit macht frei. That means work makes free. And it was a bold-faced lie suggesting that if these prisoners that went there worked hard, they'd be given liberty. Well, you know the rest of the story. That promised freedom was a horrifying death. And likewise, today, many people believe if they do their best, then their good works will earn them heaven. I'll say it again, just like that stinking camp in Auschwitz, people think that if they work hard enough, if they do a little bit of good every single week and check off a box, that's going to get them into heaven. It's going to get you right into hell is what it's going to be. The question is, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
Have you done that? I'm talking about the penalty for sin. And that's what we're talking about this morning. There's a penalty. We're looking at the penalty. Israel's sin had a penalty. Your sin has a penalty. God kept track of Israel's sin, and God's keeping track of your sin. You say, well, oh, it's been a long time since I confessed my sin. What am I supposed to do about it? Oh, well, you better get on your face before God. We'll give you time in a minute here and just say, Lord, are, are we okay? You and I right with each other? How about this one? You ever try this one out? I know you suck up some pride for some of you men. You get down on your, I, yeah, get down on your face for God and say, all right, Lord, <clears throat> uh, if there's something, anything at all between you and me, would you please have the Holy Spirit reveal it to me right now and then just wait? Like more than five seconds, you know? Just like hold the phone and chill out a little bit and hold out a little bit longer. You say, why? Because if you mean business, not just showing you the sin, but you mean business, you're going to get it right, the Lord will allow the Holy Spirit to show that thing to you. You say, then what I do? <laughs> get it right. If we confess our sin, He's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This should be what we already know, right? I'm saying God keeps track. He keeps track of Israel's sin, and He's keeping track of your sin. And there's a penalty for Israel's sin, and there's a penalty for your sin. Not only the penalty this morning, I want you to see here, after your fine Thanksgiving weekend, the pumpkin pie, pecan pie, and all the fixings, not only the penalty, I want you to see the plea. Look at verse 19. I want you to see the plea. Now, to me, this is pretty interesting. Old Moses, the friend of God, he says, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of their people. Can I ask you this question before I try to preach this thing? Do you have any idea who pleaded for you? to get saved? You ever stop and think about that? Someone pleaded for you to get saved. You are not that one person that just, you know, randomly like, oh, I just feel the love and presence of God. Someone is pleading for you to get saved. Someone became the interceder on your behalf. Who was it? In the passage here, the pleader is Moses. Never before will you see a pleader like Moses for the entire nation. Notice about this plea here. The plea for Israel commences with Moses attempting to reason with God. God says, Moses, I've had it with these suckers. I'm going to burn them to a fairly well, and I'm going to make crispy critters out of them. And Moses is like, hold on, hold on, Lord. Let's talk. Let's talk this thing through. Let's not do anything rash. And he begins, he commences that whole process of interceding by attempting to reason with God. Look in the passage with me here real quick. Verse 13. Verse 13. The Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou brought us up this people in thy might from among them. You know what I see Moses saying? Hey, Lord, you do this. Word's going to get out. You know that, right? See what I mean? Lord, if you do like poof, crunch, crispy, they're going to talk. Word's going to get out. Look at verse 14. He says this, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. Boy, Moses must have knew a thing or two about people. They sure do love to talk, don't they? He says right here, they're going to start talking. They're going to hear it. They're going to start thinking wrong. And now in verse 14, they're going to start talking wrong. 
and they're going to get that whole thing messed up. That thing is not going to come across like the Lord was righteous and he burned everybody up because they did not obey. It's going to be like, a sucker couldn't do it. I'm telling you right now, he's not as powerful God as you really think he was. Baal's better, Dagon's better, Muhammad's better, Mary's better, Joseph Smith's better, all the rest better. Moses is like, hey, look, hey, I'm just, I ain't nobody, but I'm just trying to reason with you, Lord. Don't burn them up. Can you see the picture of what's going on? He's interceding for an entire nation of people who are about ready to get it in the neck. Verse 14, Moses is saying, if you do this, the people start talking. Lord, look at verse 15 and 16. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to see the wrong speech, you see the wrong thinking, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swear unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. You ever stop and think just how much full of baloney people really are? I had no idea why God was fitting to do what he's about ready to do. And then you hear something and then you run off at the jaw. Amen. You don't know what you're talking about either. And they got it all wrong. You know what Moses is doing? He's looking out for the Lord. You see it? He's concerned about what people think about the Lord. Can I ask you this? I'm glad there's no stones around because you might start chucking them here in a minute. When was the last time you were concerned about what anybody thought about the Lord. You see it? It's right there. He's like, Lord, I mean, you can do whatever you want. But you start doing this and the people, are, they're going to start talking. and They're not going to be right and they're going to say you couldn't do it. And Lord, of course, I, I know you can do anything, right? I was there watching that sea going, I can't believe it, but I believe it now. And I was there at Morrow and everyone was throwing their guts up and how nasty that was. And you had me go get that tree and throw it in there. And then it became sweet. You don't throw dirt from a tree in there and it makes sweet. That had to be you. But Moses is actually concerned about people's view of Jehovah God. You say, what does that mean? It means when you get over to Exodus chapter 33 and they call him the friend of God. Now you understand why. Because he was concerned about what people thought about him. He was concerned what the nations thought about Jehovah God. Bible believers are like, I don't care what you think about me. I don't give a rip. And so everyone in the community thinks your God's an idiot. Why? Because you're an idiot. In the name of Jesus, of course. In the name of your American rights, of course. In the name of free speech and politics and Facebook. But here Moses is absolutely concerned with what these people think about the Lord. Well, I don't think Moses should have been concerned. Don't you think God can take care of himself? Sure he can. But Moses is a friend. And Moses is trying to help him out. I'm just telling you this morning, this plea commences with Moses attempting to reason with God. He's trying to talk him down. You ever do that to your parents? I mean, I don't know about you. I was raised in a patriotic family, amen? They applied the stripes and I saw the stars. Amen. Some of y'all were raised that way too, and some of, you, some of you are too chicken to whip your kids and help yourself. That's between you and the Lord. You get to, uh, you get to reap the benefits of that, not me. All right, but it commences with Moses' attempt to reason with God. Let me show you this. The plea for Israel, 
continues by Moses then agreeing with God. So he attempts to reason with God, and now, beginning in verse 17, he's starting to change his tune just a little bit. He goes from reason, attempting to reason, now he's beginning to agree with God. Look here in verse 17. Moses says, Let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken. You know what he's saying? I see it. You know, Lord, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You say, what are you driving at? Here's a man who loves God, who loves his own people, and he's getting in the, he's become a mediator. Amen. And you and I, we have one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. We go to God through Jesus Christ, not Mary, not the church, not the popes, not anything else. There's one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for us all to be testified of in due time. But here's the picture you got to see. I'm trying to build this bridge slowly so we can all get over it. Amen. But here is Moses. He's concerned about what God think, what people think about God. So he's interceding. He's attempting to reason with God. And the longer he reasons with the Lord, you know what he realizes? <laughs> you know, Lord, you're right. You're absolutely right. He goes from arguing with the Lord to agreeing with the Lord. You see the, you see the progression? You say, what is that? That should be your prayer life. Lord, uh, I, I'm coming before you. I got all these concerns. I got all these cares. I got all these needs. I got all these trials, all these tribulations, everything that I'm going through, so forth and so on. And it just makes me feel so uncomfortable. And I can't hardly stand it. And I can't do this. And I can't do that. And I don't have a car worth driving. And I don't have enough money to throw out the window with no parachute attached. And after a while, the longer you stay in communication with the Lord, you know what you find yourself doing? That's all right, Lord. I know you got me. You start agreeing with Him. It's not done yet. The plea here, it commences with Moses, and he's attempting to reason with God. The plea continues by Moses then agreeing with God. Let me say this before I give you the next one. I've just learned over the years, it's just best to agree with God, ain't it? You know, the Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, he says, can two walk together except they be agreed? You ever wonder why you and the Lord don't get along? Maybe you just don't agree with him. But see, in our day and age, everyone has to agree with us. If you don't agree with me, there must be something wrong with you. After all, I've got a good common uh, head on my shoulders. What's your problem? And we start treating the Lord like we treat one another. Like, Lord, why don't you see it my way? And the Lord's like Isaiah 55. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Did you read that passage? <laughs> He's like, you do err not knowing the Scriptures. Are we doing all right this morning? I'm talking about the penalty, and I'm talking now about the plea. And the plea began, it commenced with Moses trying to uh, reason, attempt to reason to God, and the plea continued with uh, uh, Moses uh, finally agreeing with God. Let me give you this one. Finally, the plea for Israel culminates by Moses' adoration of God. Look at verse 18 and 19. Verse 18 and 19. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. I don't know if you can see it. I see it clear as the day is long. Moses attempts to reason with the Lord. He's trying to argue with him, back him out of what he's trying to do. And then he goes from that to just agreeing, you're right, Lord, you should kill them all. 
And then at the end, the longer he stays in communion with the Lord, he just can't help but worship Jehovah God. You see the long-suffering? You see the greatness? You see the mercy? You see the love? You see the adoration? The longer he stays talk with the Lord, he just begins to adore him. He begins to worship him as he is. And it's a beautiful picture of a Christian's prayer life. It's a beautiful picture of someone who's got enough gumption, who's got enough guts to intercede on the behalf of someone who's lost. You see the picture this morning? The Lord is ready to take out Israel. He's ready to destroy them. And there's one man that stands between the extinction of a nation and that nation moving forward. I wonder what happened if we had a Moses. I wonder if we had some spirit-filled Bible-believing Baptist, sin-hating, devil-kicking, street-preaching, fire-breathing, got all the dispensational answers, got all the doctrinal questions answered. I wonder if we have one man like that willing to intercede on the behalf of America. Most Bible-believing preachers I know, Oh, God, burn them down! Kill them! Get them! Not Moses. Moses tries to back the Lord off. Tries to reason with them. How about you? You got some family lost? Wouldn't you like a little bit more time? Wouldn't you like one more Thanksgiving with them? Maybe the Lord soften their heart about their need for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you be praying for Moses right about now? Young man, young woman, what if that's you? Well, we looked at the penalty, we looked at the plea. Can I tell you that Moses pleads and intercedes for his people, Israel, just like the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for you and I. Here's the beautiful picture, here's the beautiful type, you can't miss it. Romans 8, 27, the Bible says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You're his child, you're here today, you know what he's doing? He's interceding on your behalf. You say, what does that even look like? I ain't got a clue. But I can guess it probably goes like this. You get down to pray. When you do get down to pray, amen. Stay with me now. And you're like, Lord, I need a new car. And you know what the Lord says? I got that prayer. Dear Lord, give him some more trouble. And you're like, car trouble? I don't, I don't. Oh, car trouble. Oh, more dear. Yes, got it. Thank you, Lord. But he's making intercession every single day for the saints of God. Let me give you another verse here. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, same chapter. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus Christ is interceding for you and me. Every single day. Thank God. And you see Moses as a type of Jesus Christ down there interceding one man for the entire nation. I'll say it again. I'm not trying to wear it out. Where is America's Moses? Where is the great interceder for this country? God bless America. Not on your bottom dollar without a Moses. No Moses, no blessing. At this juncture, the scripture thus far asks the question, 
Are you an interceder like Moses? Even greater yet, are you an interceder like Jesus Christ? Are you willing to intercede for those lost under the penalty of sin? Like I said when I began this message, that I figured it'd be a little bit greater, maybe a little bit of shouting going on, but apparently wrong once again as usual. But are you an interceder for lost people? Someone interceded and saw you saved. Someone labored in prayer. Someone labored to see you saved. For me, April 24th, 19th, my mother. She interceded on my behalf. She went to the throne and said, God save that boy. And in the process of time, I heard getting me in front of the gospel. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I found out I was a no good, wicked, rotten sinner headed for the lake of fire. And I got saved. Why? One person willing to intercede. Willing to intercede. Are you willing to intercede for lost souls? Like Moses? Are you willing to intercede? Let's go a step farther now. Moses is the type and picture of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to intercede for your brethren that are saved? Like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your big brother. See, y'all got a big brother you can look up to. Amen. And one day your big brother's coming back and he's going to beat up everyone on the playground. Amen. Amen. And you got a big brother you can look up to and he's before the throne every single day praying for you and he's interceding on your behalf and I'm saying from the passage, are you willing to be like Jesus Christ and intercede on the behalf of others, your brethren, your church, your community, your county, your nation. Moses, the great interceder. We've looked at the penalty, we looked at the plea, and now finally the pardon. Verse 20, the Bible says, And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. It's just like that. That whole thing plays out for nine verses. And, and he's like, please, Lord, please, please, please. You're wonderful, you're gracious, you're tremendous and stupendous and all the rest. And he's like, I pardon according to thy word. It's just like, you see how easy that was? It takes someone to intercede to get the Lord's attention. He says there in verse 19, I have a pardon. In verse 20, I pardon according to thy word. I want you to see, first of all, the pardon came through for Israel because of one man who interceded for the nation of Israel. And can I say this this morning, the pardon came through for you, Christian, because of one man, Jesus Christ, who interceded on your behalf. One man. The Bible says, By one man sin entered into the world, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. One man brought sin, one man brought life. That was Jesus Christ. My pardon, like I said, came through April 24th, 1983. My mother was the interceder. I often wonder, do the people of God even remember the day that they were pardoned? It was more than just a pardon. Because when you get pardoned in the prison system, you still got a record. But see, when you get saved, you get justified. And He takes your ugly, sin-stained, sinful, rotten record... And he gives you his son's record, which is glorious, spotless, and clean. Now, that's a pardon I'll take any day. That's the pardon. Well, the pardon came through for Israel in verse 20. The pardon came through for you when you got saved. And can I say this? I want to give you hope this morning. 
The pardon can still come through for that poor, lost, hell-bound sinner, lost without Jesus Christ, if he's willing to come to Jesus Christ today. The pardon can still come through. Look, just because some of y'all given up doesn't mean the Lord has. Amen. Amen, preacher. Some of you give up every week, and you renew your hope, and then you give up, and you renew your hope, and you give up, and you throw up. Sometimes you just got to grow up. In 1830, George Wilson was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail and was sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for Wilson, but Wilson refused to accept it. The matter went to Chief Justice John Marshall of the Supreme Court, who concluded that Wilson would then have to be executed. A pardon is a slip of paper, wrote Marshall, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. Can I say, for some, news of the pardon often comes too late. For others, the pardon is never accepted. As we close this morning, I want you to realize that this book here contains the pardon written by the Lord Jesus Christ himself with his own blood. The only thing that matters is whether or not you're willing to accept the pardon. The pardon for your sins today offered you by the Lord Jesus Christ. As Miss Elizabeth comes to play, let me exhort you to come and accept the pardon. Maybe the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that you should be interceding on the behalf of some lost soul. Maybe the Holy Spirit's revealed to you that you don't intercede on behalf of your brethren, and you should. If you'll be an interceder like Moses, would you come this morning? Greater yet, if you'll be an interceder like the Lord Jesus Christ, who's ever interceding for us, would you come and ask Him to help you be the great interceder for the people?